The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And leaving everything behind, he got up and followed him. And then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were at table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said to them in reply, Those who are healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. Is there anybody here who's not a sinner? Put your hand up, stand up, it's okay. No judgment here. Okay, good, we're all in the same place. As silly as it is to begin that way, oftentimes the most silly and basic truths are among the most important. We are, in fact, sinners. And as obvious as that reality is, it is frighteningly possible for any one of us on any given day to forget it and to overlook that. Because we focus on the sinfulness of the world, we focus on the failures of others, we focus on the ways we have been wronged or the ways we are trying to get it right, and all of a sudden, that honest statement that I'm a sinner seems very distant. And this is something that lurks through the readings that run through the season of Lent. This capacity for the heart of man, especially the religious person, for self-deception. And so we see the Lord through the prophet Isaiah in our first reading talking to the people. And we've heard this now for several days. The issue is not that you're not showing up at the temple. The issue is not that you're not doing certain things on the holy days. The issue is you are allowing the fact that you're doing these things to blind you to greater realities. And so it is that even as you show up with your sacrifice in the temple, you walk by your brother in need and do nothing. And so it is that even as you gather in the synagogue to hear the proclamation of the word, you go home and you have the same bitter argument that you have every day. And all the while, patting yourself on the back because I'm getting it right. And the issue is not that those things are bad. The issue is the way we prevent the best of things to truly penetrate us. And so it is that we run into the fact that on these first four days of Lent, 
which serve as a staging ground into the fullness of the season. Over these first four days, beginning with Ash Wednesday announcing, now is the time, and note how that implies a response. If now is the time and today is the day, then it means my putting off until tomorrow has to end, and I need to move now. And that movement of now we've been hearing for three days running involves a necessary element of self-denial. Because the single biggest obstacle any one of us here has to our own spiritual growth is ourself. The biggest obstacle in my spiritual growth I can see every time I look in the mirror. Our problem is that we can't get out of our own way. And so the day after Ash Wednesday, what do we hear Jesus saying? If you want to follow me before you go and pick up the cross, deny yourself. Because otherwise you'll never pick up the cross in the right way. Yesterday, we heard the Lord speaking to a segment of Israel that says, I've been fasting, I've been praying, when do you give me the grace? And the Lord says, it doesn't work that way, this isn't a business. And in fact, let's look at the fasting that you're doing and what you're not doing. And then let's maybe change the character of it, because again, you're getting in your own way. And now today we come back to that. The Lord insisting that the coupling of charity with prayer is not optional, but obligatory. And note, that also implies that prayer must be coupled to charity. That for the Lord, there is no such thing as real charity that isn't based in a real relationship with him. But likewise, there's no such thing as a real relationship with him that doesn't involve care for his people. And it's this coupling that gives us trouble all the time because we like to pick and choose who we care about. We like to pick and choose who we're good with. Years and years ago when I was, it's a long time ago now, over 30 years, when I was Discerning my own vocation, I remember talking to a young man who had likewise gone to a vocational retreat, and he heard a young member of the congregation of the, of the mission, the Vincentians, those, that community founded by Vincent de Paul, the great father of the poor, who said, I, I entered and I was all excited. I was all excited about being able to serve the poor. I felt that call in my heart. And... Then I met the poor, and I realized that there are reasons why people don't like doing this. <laughs> and right there, he had his first moment of vocational crisis and growth. Because when I lay aside my idealistic wonderment of these things and confront the reality, then I have to make the choice, the difficult choice that love demands. Can I really be here for this one, who is so off-putting or inconvenient? And it's oftentimes precisely that that's the one who most needs us, because the world turns its back on that one so readily. This is what is lurking underneath our readings. This way that we give ourselves permission 
to turn our back on some. The way we give ourselves permission to say, that is not my problem, not my concern. And none of us is so great and so available that all the concerns can be ours. But it's amazing how quickly we narrow the field. And that narrowing of the field stems from, as we hear in our first reading today, our desire to be the one who sets the priorities. I need to know what I'm about. I need to know where I'm going. And so what does the Lord say? This even creeps in to how you celebrate my day. And to be clear, we Christians don't have a Sabbath. We have the Lord's day. And note the implication. We don't have my day. We have his day. And if it is his day, the way of keeping it is not determined by me, but by him. And we see that built into the way we relate to God and that God relates to us is a moment every week where the entire body, the entire people is to pause and lay aside my plan, my goal, for the sake of opening myself to a will that is different than mine and greater than mine. Note how powerful that is. But note what happens when we neglect that regularity. All of a sudden, the will I'm pursuing is my own. I may know what the will of God implies by how I've been taught, but that's different than actually knowing what it says to me and how I need to respond. So note how beautiful it is. Right at the very beginning of Lent, this is what we pause to reflect upon. And it's not because the church wants us to feel bad. It wants us to, the church wants us to take a real hard look at ourselves. Not to wallow in the fact that I've got this wrong most of my life, but to recognize that this is where I need to move from. And when I know that, then I begin to get a sense of what the movement is. It's why this reading from Isaiah is twinned with the gospel reading we have. And it's important that we understand every single day of the Lenten season, the readings are all chosen because of how they speak together. And we have to understand the reading of the call of Levi in light of what we just heard in Isaiah. Hold back your foot from following your own pursuits, at least on my day. And why? So that you can follow me. Oh, now, with that in mind, look at what happens. We see Levi sitting at the customs post. He's a tax collector, and he knows full well what that means for himself. He knows full well how he's cut himself off. He knows full well what society around him thinks of him. He lives with that every day. And yet somehow he's apparently okay with it because he's back at the customs booth. And he's at his customs booth counting out the coin of the world. And it's into this moment that Christ intrudes. Note how remarkable this is. Jesus is not invited 
into this moment. Levi was not sitting there saying, oh Lord, send me salvation. He's busy counting out the coin of the world. Where he lives every day, in the wrong that marks his life and all of the ways he justifies it. Just like us, just like us. And into this, suddenly the Lord arrives and looks at him and says, follow me. On the one hand, this is so dramatic. On the one hand, it's so sudden. And the temptation that we can have as we read and hear these words is to focus on this dramatically visible figure of Jesus, that commanding tone of voice. And we want to be careful with that, because that may well be how it happened that day. But the issue here is, what does that mean for us here in this place today? What does this mean for the customs booth of my heart, where I count out so many different kinds of coins? I count out my, the coin of my insecurity. I count out the coin of my ambition. I count out the coin of all those things I hold against so many others. I count the coin of pleasure. I count the coin of self-indulgence. I count all those coins. This is the season of the year where the Lord barges uninvited into the customs booth of our heart and says, you, follow me. Note how particular this is. In the famous painting that Caravaggio has showing this scene, as the Lord enters with this dramatic gesture saying, follow me, there's Levi, Matthew, sitting there at his table with his coins and his scales in front of him, and the Lord is looking at him, and Matthew takes his hand, and he points to himself as if to say, you mean me? You want me? And that is the essence of this time. The Lord isn't looking for somebody else. He's looking for you. The Lord is not saying to somebody else, follow me. He's saying that to you. So we hear this story from the past in the now of today, because this is what the Lord does. We're not reminiscing about Levi's call. We're recognizing that the reality of that call is present among us here in this place. You know, we, we sometimes make the mistake of falling in love with the myth of the dramatic and instantaneous conversion. It sounds so wonderful. Grace seizes you. Everything is different. And wouldn't it be wonderful if it was so easy as that? But grace is usually a bit messier than that. And what happens is we wait for those dramatic moments. And we miss the fact that on a, with a surprising regularity, the Lord does barge into our lives. Not necessarily by throwing a door open and letting light break into a dark room. Not necessarily by raising his voice and pointing directly at us, 
But think of those moments in your life when you felt that strong, sharp nudge in your heart. I need to do something. And I need to do it soon or now. Sometimes those, those moments pass quickly. Sometimes those are mere feelings. But isn't it amazing how often they come? Especially when we begin seriously considering what we're doing on a moral or a spiritual level. Those are not merely pangs of conscience. This is also the Lord breaking into our hearts and saying, follow me. You, follow me. You know, we make the mistake of thinking that the call to follow the Lord is going to be this obviously dramatic thing. It seldom begins that way. There are those moments of sharpness in our lives where we just recognize I need to make a change. The remarkable thing is how often we can recognize we need to make a change and how long it takes us to move. The greatness in the story is not that Jesus came to Levi and said, follow me, it's that Levi got up and actually did it. That's the remarkable thing. This tax collector hears the voice that says it's time to make a move, and he moves. We can do that too. We can do that too. It may not be as dramatically transformative in a moment as it was for Levi, but it's still a real moment of grace that leads to deeper and deeper transformation when we do respond. What a remarkable gift that is. And we hear that as he followed the Lord, he left what was there behind. Because the call to follow Jesus precisely because it is a step toward him and a step after him, is always a step away from and a step out of something. You know, we, we forget that too. But if where we already are is so good, then why do we need a savior? Because a savior by definition comes to rescue us from danger. If where I am is so good, why do I need saving? We numb ourselves. We numb ourselves and we overlook the fact that the Lord comes to bring us someplace better. To call us out of ourselves, out of the now, to something fuller. And the essence of following is precisely that I don't get to lead. The essence of following is precisely that I don't get to set the pace, that I don't get to choose the direction. I have to let him. And at first, that sounds off-putting until I realize how many times in my life I've set the direction and I ended up nowhere. How many times in my life I thought I knew what I wanted and I stretched out my hand to something that bit me. How many times in my life I said, I will be satisfied with this relationship, this experience, this thing, this opportunity, and the satisfaction passed quickly, or it wasn't there at all. Because the simple fact of the matter is, by myself, I don't know where to go. By myself, I don't know what gives me life. By myself, I'm just lost. Unless someone show me. And so the Lord says, follow me. 
And that's the marvelous character of Lent. It's even though the Lord speaks that command, follow me to each and every one of us, we're all trying to respond to it now at the same time. We're all trying to stumble after him together. This is that time where the church, in a sense, is called out of itself to someplace better. What a remarkable gift that is, that we don't do this alone, but we do it together. And so what do we see? Where's the first place that Levi follows Jesus? Back home. Isn't that odd? But note what's beautiful here. Levi didn't take Jesus home. Jesus led him back home. The first place Jesus brings us is back to our life, back to ourself. It's not that I open the space and say, Jesus, come here. Jesus comes and opens the door to your heart and says, let me show you in. Let me show you what's really here. Let me show you who you really are. Let me show you how to live in the life that you have right now. Let me do that. Follow me. And so it is that's there in his house with all of the other sinners who are there. And yet so is Christ in that moment that transforms that reality. And of course, there are those there who aren't there for Jesus. They're there to criticize. And it's so easy to be that person. It's so easy to be that one who shrugs his shoulders and rolls his eyes. It's so easy to turn to others and say, who do you think you are trying to be better? It's so easy to say that to ourselves. Because we can have Levi who wants to be better within us, and we can have the Pharisee who judges within us at the same time. And they speak to one another. With everything you've done, why do you think it's going to be different this time? Who do you think you are to deserve grace? That happens too. And so it is that the Lord is the one who intervenes in that and says, I'm here precisely for the sick. I am here precisely for the wounded. I am here precisely for the sinner. And so if we're all sinners, we're in the right place. If we're all sinners, we actually have the necessary starting point for doing this, especially if we recognize it. The ability to recognize that about myself is the necessary starting point for growth in grace and growth in faith. Note how wonderful that is. The Lord doesn't say, get better and then come and see me. The Lord says, I'll come to you right now. Ready or not, I'll come to you. And if you're a sinner, it doesn't matter how big the sin is, I'll come to you. I'll come to you. Stop listening to the Pharisee in your heart that says you don't have a chance, because I'm coming. And so we have this season, this season where we recognize that he has called, that we need to make some kind of move right now, even if we're not certain what the move is. And that's okay too, as long as we try and stumble forward as best we can, because he's with us. And as we begin doing that, 
and learn to walk with that kind of freedom, he'll show us. And that's the great gift of this time that we have every single year. And note how wonderful it is that we've heard these words, but we're not doing a Bible study. We've heard these words because in just a few minutes, he's going to be here. Just like he showed up unannounced at that customs post 2,000 years ago. Okay, it's, it's announced today. We know he's coming. But he's going to be right here where you are today. Not tomorrow. Not some other day. Not with somebody else. But here. In just a few minutes, I am going to hold up his body and his blood, and I am going to say, behold the Lamb of God. And as you look up and look at him, he's already been looking at you. He's already been looking at you. And he has been because he's going to come. And he's going to come into that customs post of your heart and my heart. And as you receive him today, understand that in some way he is saying to you, Follow me. Follow me. And in all likelihood, just like with Levi, the first place he wants to take you is back to the life you think you know. Let him lead you. Don't bring him. Let him bring you. Let him show you the truth of your life. Let him show you the truth of yourself, even if it's just a little bit today. And you just keep working that over these next six weeks. And if we do that as a people, we all move forward with real strength and real goodness into a real moment of grace. And that is among the very best of things. Amen.